0: Hope is a wonderful thing. And maybe tonight's lesson, instead of the title we have given to it in the newsletter and that I have in my notes in front of me and you have on the handout if you have one of those, maybe the title of tonight's lesson should be something along the lines of even more hope or greater hope or continuing the hope. Because last week, if you remember, if you were here, we continued our study in the book of Micah and we studied Micah chapter 4. And in the midst of that book of Micah, that's filled with so many negative, difficult warnings and promises of punishment and negative things, the prophet was able to share with the people a message of great hope. In fact, dual hope, if you want to think of it that way. There was a hope that, if you were not here, we talked about the fact that even though the city of Jerusalem was going to suffer punishment for its sins, God was still going to bring that city and a remnant, a faithful remnant, back to a level of prominence. We called that a nearer fulfillment of that hope, that there was still going to be a city of Jerusalem. While it was going to be punished for its sins, it was not going to be completely destroyed forever. But there was also a symbol of hope beyond the days of Micah, beyond even the days of those people who were hearing Micah speak. And that was the hope of the coming of the church. And we called that the further or the future fulfillment of this of the prophecy of micah chapter 4 and as micah continues in his in this book if you have your bible you might want to open it to micah chapter 5 we have even more hope given thankfully you have another chapter given that fills the people of micah's day with hope and i think the reason micah does this is for a couple of reasons one it's obviously it's the message that god wanted to share but also it's because people need a lot of hope There are times in our lives where maybe just a little bit of hope can get us through. And there are other times in our lives where we need hope piled upon hope, piled upon hope. And of course, considering what Micah was telling the people of his day, that the city of Jerusalem was going to be punished, that the nation was going to be punished, those who were faithful needed a whole lot of hope. And those who were unfaithful needed to hear a lot of positive along with the the lot of negative that Micah was having to share with the people. And so we're calling tonight's lesson, A Ruler and a Remnant, but we could, again, title tonight's lesson, More Hope or Greater Hope. What Micah does in Micah chapter 5 is just a couple of things we're going to study tonight. He makes two promises, and they're promises that obviously gave the people of his day great hope, but they're promises that also should give us some hope because they were fulfilled, but they also have a fulfillment that we continue to gain from even in our day and time. And tonight as we go through these two things, we're going to think about really more our side of things. In other words, how these things continue to be meaningful to us in our day and time. They are the promise of a ruler, and then the promise of a remnant. Notice will be first of all the promise of a ruler. As Micah begins to fill the people with hope, he must remind them that there is still work to be done. Notice what he says in Micah 5 and verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. The they being the foreign Assyrian army. Now obviously the nation, the people to which Micah was speaking, was in trouble. Siege was a major threat during times of war, especially in ancient days. We still see it in world history from time to time in more more modern times, but you especially read about it in ancient warfare. Cities would be surrounded. And if they weren't defended well... The invading army basically, so long as they did their job well, just had to wait things out. Unless the people gave up on the inside, they would die of starvation. They would die of lack of water. They would die of disease. It was an awful, awful form of punishment. It was slow, but it was a sure way to victory if it was done well. But notice also that verse 1 ends with the picture of being struck on the cheek. Obviously, the imagery there is one of humiliation. To strike someone on a cheek, even in far ancient times, was a sign of humiliation before them. The nation was not going to just be defeated. They were going to be humiliated in the process. That's what Micah was trying to get across. So there was work to be done. So where do you turn when you're being attacked? When siege is going to be laid against you? When you're going to be humiliated in the process? When that's the prophecy coming against you? Well, obviously, these people would have simply turned to God. That question is already answered. But it's going to be answered in a way that they might not have expected. Notice what's said in Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for uh, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now consider a fact that we have mentioned probably so many times in this series, of Micah, you're tired of hearing it, now that is that Micah was a common man, but that Micah was also from a common place. You remember as the book of Micah begins, chapter 1 and verse 1, we're told that he was from this place called Moresheth. We don't know a whole lot about it except it was just a small village over in the hill country, about 25 miles from Jerusalem. It was kind of a nothing place. That comes into play in this prophecy. Because in Micah 5.2, you see the name Bethlehem, specifically Bethlehem Ephrathah. When we hear the name of the place Bethlehem, one event very clearly comes to our mind. While several things happen in that place over the course of history, one biblical event completely overwhelms the rest of them. And that, of course, is the birth of Jesus Christ. I think it's wonderful that God uses this common man's prophet from kind of a nothing town, Morasheth, to be the one to give the prediction, the prophecy, of where Jesus would be born And it's Bethlehem, which was kind of a not-so-much-town itself. Oh, it's important to us. We look at it and we're amazed by what happened there. But Bethlehem was just kind of another town. It wasn't Jerusalem for sure. It was just another town. But think of the historical context of Micah. The people of his day were Jerusalem-centered. And by that I mean, that's where the king sat. That's where everything seemed to, to flow out of. That was the royal city. Yet Micah, the prophet from a nothing town, tells them that the greatest ruler of them all was going to come from, not Jerusalem, but from Bethlehem. But also remember, there's a connection to that city that is important historically besides the birth of Christ and before the time of Micah, because Bethlehem was also the hometown of another great king. It was the hometown of David. And so Micah says in the same prediction that this one who is to come, this ruler who is to come, his coming forth is from old, from ancient days. There's a dual connection. You have a connection back to David who was from Bethlehem, but obviously you also have a connection all the way back to eternity past because this has always been in the mind of God that Jesus would be born in that small town, that small village of Bethlehem. I want you to listen to something that Trent Butler wrote about this particular prophecy. He said, hope for the present was lost. But God's plans go far beyond the present. He has hopes for a new ruler for Israel. This ruler will come for the Lord. He will fulfill God's plans and be obedient to God unlike the current Israelite rulers or really Judean rulers. This new ruler appeared in the person of Jesus from Bethlehem who was providentially born in his family's ancestral hometown. Now keep in mind that Micah prophesied somewhere around 700 B.C., somewhere in the range of seven centuries before the coming of Jesus, this prophet gives us not just that someone is coming, but the very name of the town, a nothing town pretty much, from which the greatest ruler Israel would ever know would be born. But Micah also tells us something about this ruler. In fact, his character. And it's beautiful. Notice what's said in verse 4 through the beginning of verse 5. And he that is the one to come, this ruler to come, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The rest of verse 5 and all the way through verse 6, by the way, turn this prophecy back inward for the people of Micah's day. That The Assyrian army would be turned back. Israel would win the day ultimately if they remain faithful to the Lord. But I want us to look at that prophecy more for our purposes in 2016. How powerful is that? That the birthplace of the character of Jesus is revealed seven centuries ahead of time, but also His character is revealed. You have the imagery here of a shepherd so tender. But you also have the imagery that says that Jesus would lead in the majesty of the name of the Lord as God. And that Jesus would be their peace. Do we not see all of those fully characterized in the person of Jesus Christ? He is the great shepherd. But he's also the great king. And he is our peace. That's exactly what Micah said seven centuries before Jesus was born. Now, before we move on, what possible motivation could that give to the people of Micah's day? Because this was going to come centuries later. Well, first, remember that there was a nearer fulfillment for the people of his time. We talked a little about that last week, which is why I'm not spending as much time on it this week. How all of this was not for centuries down the road. God was going to use the Assyrians, but God was also going to turn the tide. And the Assyrians were going to get their punishment as well. There was hope for the near future for these people, but also... If the people of Micah's day would have just listened to him or any other prophet, it would have filled them with hope hope for this reason. They would have seen that no matter how negative the news got, no matter how difficult things got in their lives and in a nation, nothing could thwart the plans of God. Even in this time, when it seemed as everything was going against the people of God, God was revealing a prophecy that the greatest ruler of them all was still to come and by the way, I'm going to tell you where he's going to be born. Nothing was going to change the plans of God. They were always moving forward just the way, in just the way I should say, that God wanted them to and they needed to for the fulfillment of the salvation of mankind. Today, I think this fills us with hope because we can look back and see all these prophecies fulfilled. You and I can be amazed when we see these prophecies made sometimes decades and sometimes centuries before the fulfillment came, even down to the very smallest details. And every one of them came true. And then we look at prophecies for our day that remind us there is judgment day coming. There is a heaven. There is a hell for all eternity. And we can rest sure that those things will come true in God's timing. If all of these other things came true so perfectly, down to the smallest detail, then we can know, we can know that all the things that are left to be done in eternity will be done. But also, we can also be assured of the fact that the ruler whom Micah talked about, Jesus Christ, did come. That he did establish a kingdom. A kingdom that, over which he rules and will never end. And I need to make certain that I'm in that kingdom. That Jesus is my ruler. And so Micah tries to get the people to look beyond themselves to see a great ruler who would fill them with hope if they would see this great one to come. And with that in mind, then Micah turns in the second place to the promise of a Last week, if you remember, when we studied Micah chapter 4, we spent a little bit of time talking about this whole concept of a It's the idea that God has always had and utilized a smaller group of those who are faithful, a remnant of those who are faithful, to carry out His will. Though times have often been dark for faithful people, God has always had at least a few who followed His will and were faithful to Him. Last week I mentioned, for example, the remnant that was found on the Ark of Noah. Just eight people. The 7,000 who did not bow the knees to Baal in the days of wicked Queen Ahab and wicked Queen Jezebel. And there were others throughout Scripture all the way from beginning to end. And as Micah continues his prophecy then, he uses that same concept that there were those who were faithful no matter what. And that the Lord would utilize these people. Notice we read this in the scripture a moment ago, verse 8, how it begins, and the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations. And it talks about how they'll be a lion. They're going to be a lion among the people. Wait a minute. There's not very many of them who are faithful. You've heard the old saying before it's so true that you and God are a majority. God doesn't need a big group in order to change history. God just needs a faithful few. In fact, God doesn't really need anybody. But God utilizes quite often just a faithful few. You have very few who were faithful at this time. But Micah says they'll be a lion. They're going to change the course of history. From verse 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 15, we have a powerful description from the Lord of what He would do to those who were not in that remnant. In other words, who were unfaithful. Some of those, obviously, would be among the pagans, the Assyrians, they didn't care about the God of heaven one way or another. So they, they certainly were not in that remnant. But also considering that Micah is prophesying to his own people, by implication he's saying some of those who are unfaithful are among my own people. Some of them are the people of Judah. What Micah is trying to wake these people up to is the same thing he has been all along. Their inner turmoil and their sin is going to cost them at the very hand of God if they will not repent. So what the Lord does... And verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, is simply say, I've seen what's going on. I know what's going on. I know the sins of this nation. And even though this is written poetically, what God really does is enumerate two what we might call national sins of the people. First He says that they're too reliant on their own human strength. Notice what's said in verses 10 and 11. And in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots, And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. God is saying that these people had some level of military might, but they put too much trust in it. They put too much trust in in that, in their own strength. I, like you, I'm sure, are so thankful for our military of our nation. Those who put their lives on the line, often quite literally, for our freedoms. I'm so thankful for that. And I tip my hat to those who in the past or presently served or have, or have served or are serving in our military. But we need to never forget that even the most powerful army this world has ever known, with the most powerful weapons conceivable, is child's play in the hands of an almighty God. It's not close. Some may trust in horses, and some may trust in chariots, Psalm 20 and verse 7 says, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We may not use her- chariots and horses. We need to be thankful for what we have, but we need to trust in the name of God. These people have become too reliant on their own strength as they saw it. But also, God says, I have seen that they've also fallen into pagan practices, even occultic type practices. Notice what's said in beginning of verse 12 through verse 14. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. You remember the law of Moses specifically had taught against things like sorcery and witchcraft. And obviously it said there's not going to be, there shouldn't be any graven images or carved images. And over and over and over you have warnings against pagan or false worship or idol worship. And what we might term more occultic type practice. That's found all throughout the law of Moses. But the people had gone so far away from the Lord that these things had become commonplace in their land. And the Lord is making it clear that He and He alone is to be worshipped. This false worship, these occultic type practices, those things were not going to last. We worship a lot of things in our nation There may be some in our nation who worship things like pagan gods. That happens from place to place. You know that as well as I do. But I think more of a problem or issue in our nation is that we worship the things that we make. We we worship money. We worship power. We worship fame. We worship reputations. Those types of things. So whether we actually bow down before them, like you might think of in some kind of religious ritual, we worship those things. But folks, that's not going to last forever. God will not let those things stand. That's the message that Micah gave to these people. And concluding Micah 5 then, after letting the people know that he knew exactly what was going on throughout their land, notice what God said in verse 15. And in anger and in wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Notice one word in that, that's, that phrase. Nations. Plural. God is not just saying this to the people of Judah, the, last, the primary uh, recipient. He's also saying the Assyrians are going to get theirs too. They're pagan as well. They have a cultic practice. They're, they're, they're awful. God is saying, I see this among all the nations. Micah, tell this to these people, but also let them know, I know this is going on in nations all throughout the world. That's what God is saying. But through it all, through all of that, through the fact there were sinful practices, through the fact there was false worship, occultic practices, and through the fact this was going on throughout the nations, remember what we're calling this second point. There was a rendement. Verse 8. There was a remnant. God would use that remnant, at least in part, to bring about punishment. They would go through it. They would go through all the difficulty. But God would know their faithfulness through this whole whole time of vengeance. Our Lord does not forget those who are faithfully holding to His Word and His promises, even in times when He is pouring out His judgment upon nations or peoples. I don't know about you, but that's a fantastic message. That God does not forget the faithful. Do you ever read or hear, watch the news of our own day and time and get just a wee bit concerned? I know you do, because I hear from you as well. Many of you get very concerned. It seems to me as I talk to people who are older than I am, especially that they're more and more concerned about how how long our nation might stand. They, They love their country, as I do. But they love God's Word more, as I do. And they see passages like this, one and many others, and they just wonder, how long can God let these things go on? Obviously, we don't know. We're never given a time frame. That's not for us to know. But we know that the Lord is in total control of history. And we see that, for lack of a better word, the rottenness that's rampant in our society when we do what they were doing in the days of Isaiah, calling evil good and good evil. We, We see that all around us. And it does seem to be getting worse as time goes on. They're concerned about the children. They're concerned about their grandchildren and beyond. And I have to admit, I think about that at times as well. What if? What if the Lord brought punishment upon our nation during my lifetime? What what would it be like? What what would it look like? How intense would it be? What what exactly would it be like in this modern day and time? Not an Old Testament time where God would raise up the Assyrians to come in on horses and chariots and those sorts of things. What, What would it be like? I don't know. And none of us does. I don't say any of that to scare us necessarily, but simply to make us connect back all the way back seven centuries before Christ to when Micah was making this prophecy. If things ever started looking like that could happen, if they very clearly were happening, there are two reminders from this chapter that I pray I would be able to cling to. I pray I'll be able to teach my children instill it in them. And I pray I'd be willing to tell it to everyone around me. In fact, we need to be telling the people around us whether these things ever happen or not. First, I would hope that I would remember that God has always been faithful to His promises. He promised the coming Messiah, Jesus the Christ, in the midst of a time of turmoil. The people of Micah's day needed that hope. They needed that assurance. And even though it was centuries before Jesus was born, it happened just in the place and the manner in which Micah said it would. And Jesus was just the type of person that Micah had prophesied seven centuries before. Jesus was ever born. God has made dozens and dozens and dozens of promises to the faithful people today. He has promised to be with us if we're faithful. He has promised to hear our prayers. He has promised to love us. He has promised to shower us with grace and with mercy. And on and on and on it goes. No matter what the international turmoil might be, no matter what the national news might be, I pray that I rest on the promises of God because He's always faithful. And I pray, I pray that no matter what happens, I'm part of the remnant. That I'm part of the remnant. Before, during, and even possibly after. Whether it's a time of national, international turmoil, or a time simply of personal struggle. If we saw a major shift in the world, powers during our lifetime, folks, even that should not move us one inch from being faithful to God in every way we possibly can. And even if it seems that that the church is much smaller by comparison to the world around us, we are not going to cower in fear because we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. No matter what might come. Even though it was written in a time of turmoil and a time of struggle, Micah was providing those who would truly be faithful A message of hope. And for us today, we get the joy of looking back and seeing that that ruler he prophesied did in fact come. And he does continue to rule because of his kingdom, there will never be an end. Daniel chapter 2. We also are able to look back through history, biblical history and beyond, church history, and see that God has always had a remnant. People have always been faithful no matter what's been going on. And today that remnant continues to be those who are faithfully obedient to the ruler that was born in that small town of Bethlehem. The only question I ask tonight really is, are you part of that remnant? Are you part of the remnant who obeys the ruler now, instead of waiting for a day when every knee will bow, whether they want to or not? I want to bow before my ruler now. And I want to make sure that I confess his name now. And I want to make sure that come what may, I am part of that remnant. Now and forever. Tonight, Jesus is already king. But if you need to be part of his kingdom, he allows you entrance through his sacrifice. He allows you to be the king, allows you to make him the king and lord of your life. If you will simply come to him on his terms and live faithfully each and every day. Tonight, if you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God add you to the church which is the kingdom it's not if you're a Christian, not faithful, not faithfully part of that remnant, not faithfully honoring King Jesus, then why not make that right this evening? Why not make it right right now while we stand and sing to encourage you?